to get his shot eventually at Hulk Hogan and become the world's champion. And you're lucky he's not a racehorse or he'd win the Belmont and the Kentucky Derby also because he's the greatest athlete today. And he's the only man that ever left the champion of the world, Hulk Hogan Lane. And he has a simple name. It's just Mr. Wonderful. And here he comes. You know, Bobby, some people would say just what you've just said to everybody out there, that that would be bragging. That that would just be thinking that you're cocky. But you know something? That's exactly right. The truth really hurts. Because Hulk Hogan, I have earned respect. I deserve respect. I was drafted in the NFL. I was in the College Football Hall of Fame. High School All-American. The greatest athlete to ever come out of the state of Florida. I've earned it. I deserve to be the next world heavyweight champion. You see, Hulk Hogan, the difference between you and I is that I'll do anything at any cost to get something I want. I'll even sell my own family down the river for one reason. And that's how world's heavyweight belt. You see something? I left you laying right in the middle of the rain. Right then I left you because you thought that I was your friend. <laughs> friend. You're really dumb. Dumb. Because Hulk Hogan, I've got you running wild right now. You're on the Rangers at the point of no return. Sooner or later, Hogan, you're going to have to be man enough to sign your name to a contract. And that I'm going to be the champion. I remember him being one of the OG guys. He was one of the OG ice cream bar guys. He was. You know, and yeah, I think that's, a, that's the mark of a 80s WWF legend if you were on the ice cream bar. That was, yeah. I mean, he basically kind of came in to, you know, he was part of like that first heel faction, you know, with being part of Bobby Heenan's family. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, he started in 83, right. So he was right there kind of late 83. That was kind of the birth of uh Hulkamania. Mm-hmm. So he was right there during yeah. the explosion. Yeah. I mean, and you know, he was a big part of, you know, obviously he was the main event of WrestleMania one. That's right. Know? He was in the match with uh, Roddy Piper, right? Roddy Piper, yeah. So it was and Mr. basically, yep. You know, Roddy Piper, Bob Orton Jr., and Paul Orndorff with Hogan versus Mr. T with Jimmy Snuka in their corner. So I mean, you don't get more OG than that being the main event of WrestleMania one, right? You know, and you know, and I think a lot of people over the years kind of just kind of made it seem like that he was brought in to be the fall guy because there was no way that Roddy Piper was going to do the job to Mr. T, but he wasn't going to do the job for Hulk Hogan either. Right. Right. So they always made it, but make no mistake, you know, Orndorff was over. I mean, Orndorff was on a very similar trajectory than uh, macho man, Randy Savage. You know, Mm -hmm. he came in when everybody was, you know, a body guy, you know, and Vince was like in the bodybuilders and Orndorff had that build, but the difference was Orndorff was a true badass. Like he was like a, a guy, you know, everyone knows, have, have you ever heard the story of Orndorff 
getting in a, a fight with Vader in the locker room? No. You never heard that story? No. Oh, wow. Tell that so story. They, yeah, so this was later on in his career, just to show how much of a badass Paul Orndorff really was. Uh, you know, Vader at this time in the 90s was kind of known for being a badass and being able to, you know, beating the crap out of people in the ring. And he basically, the room, this is, you know, I'm just going on what they kind of said, you know, internet. But, you know, there's versions of this story, but they all line up, you know, and Vader got really lippy with Paul Orndorff, who was kind of one of the agents at the time, you know, and, and by this time, Paul Orndorff was a little bit older. He had that atrophy in his arm, you know, where one of his arms shrunk. Yeah. So Wait, how, how old was he? When was this? Oh, man, this was late. So this was early 90s. Yeah, like 19, maybe like 1990, 91, around uh -huh. that area when he just kind of. So he was already kind of retired. You know, he was already in his retirement age because remember, he started in the 70s. Yeah. So this is 20 years later. So he was he was older. But so the story goes that he was basically sitting there. You know, he's he's a Florida guy, too. So he wasn't wearing any shoes. He was just in flip flops and not like the slides, the the what we would have called thongs. Yeah. You know, the ones that tuck between your toes. Chunklas. Yeah. Chunklas. <laughs> and he got, and Vader got lippy with Orndorf and Orndorf actually gave him the opportunity to take a swing and. Vader tried to take a swing and Orndorff moved and he basically knocked Vader out with his atrophied arm. What? Really? <laughs> Not with his strong arm either, like his atrophy arm. Then apparently he, after you like, he knocked him down mm -hmm. with a blow and he started putting the boots to him with his chanclas on. Damn. I mean, and this is like Vader. And you uh -huh. know, and the story goes later, it's just like Vader slipped and Orndorff just pounced on him. But it's just like, and everyone's like, everybody saw is like, oh, no, I think you, I think he, you know, I think you underestimated somebody who was like a true badass, somebody who kind of grew up, you know, his career grew up in the seventies where you basically were the piper and you were kind of fighting for your life when you were a heel. Yeah. So that doesn't, but yeah, he was a legit badass. So he was on that trajectory that I think, you know, there was even talk for a while of just putting the belt on him the same way they had talk of putting the belt on Savage. Yeah. You know, and uh, my favorite memory, you know, we were just talking about our love of Saturday night's main event. Uh, and back then, I don't know, we were just kids. So we didn't realize the difference between live and taped. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember that, that cage match on Saturday night's main event? I don't remember that match particularly. No, though. It had a really, really interesting finish for the time that it was just basically they, you know, this was one of the blue cages, WWE blue cages, WWF blue cages, you know, that weren't the fence. They were the actual cage. Uh -huh. And they did a spot where they both were climbing out on each different side of the cage. And the camera, they had two cameras on each side. Now I realize they had two cameras on each side back then. I was just like, holy crap. They were basically racing to see who can make it to the floor first. Uh -huh. And they timed it perfectly where they both dropped and their feet hit at the exact same time. <laughs> really? Now, you know, now thinking back, I was just like, oh, wait, Saturday night's main event, that wasn't live. That was taped. Yeah. So they could have easily, you know, they just probably had them both drop 
And then, you know, they made it in fix it in editing where it was literally a tie. Mm-hmm. What was they, a they have like deal. a split screen going of their yeah, feet. Yeah, they hitting. did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a split screen going to see whose feet hit and their feet hit. And they had the little timer in the corner just to see whose feet, you know, hit, you know, within seconds. And it was a legitimate time. And think about it back at that time. That was when Hulk Hogan was untouchable. So for him to even like nobody even thought about Whitley like of you know him being even touched, right? Yeah. It was just like it was a big deal if anyone got anything over on Hogan. He yeah. was John Cena, you know, back then where no one touched him. So that was a huge deal for him to take a tie even because yeah. like nobody can beat Hogan. Nobody mm-hmm. could even tie Hogan, but Orner tied him. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that was a big deal, you know, and it came out and he just always had that like ferocious energy, mm-hmm. but he was definitely, he's a, I would like you call him an ice cream bar guy. He's a Saturday night's main event guy. Cause he had a lot of great, you know, moments on Saturday night's main event. Was I he on the him. cartoon? He, uh, no, he didn't. I don't think he made it on the cartoon surprisingly, which no. he should have, but he, no, he was not in the cartoon. But he should have been, but he was definitely part of, uh, he was in the music video, Land of a Thousand Dances, because, you know, when everybody had their hands like clapping above their head, he was the one kissing his biceps. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but he had some great stuff, you know. Uh, did he have, he didn't get a title run, did he? Was he the? No, no, no he never did. This was back when you weren't guaranteed title runs. And we can do a whole show on on people who never got a title run like jake the snake like never even having a tag team title run roddy piper only finally getting you know an intercontinental title run towards the end but this was back when these guys were super over and didn't need the titles where now when you don't have a title it's there's something it just feels different because this orndorff always felt like he should have had a title run yeah and he never did you know and then he had his baby face turn after kind of piper blamed him for taking the loss that also happened on saturday night's main event you know they had the piper's pit uh, after wrestlemania one just trying to explain what the hell happened how did you lose uh-huh. and then he had a nice feud with uh Roddy piper after that so yeah i mean he was a big part of the whole superstar cartoon ice cream bar war war to settle the score rock and wrestling connection I mean, he was a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, he uh, was he was there at, at when when it all kind of took off, when it all blew up. It did, yeah. He had a. I mean, first had, WrestleMania main event against Mr. T. That's the most '80s thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. And think about the he. It was you know what was a little more cutting edge that I just remember too. He had a pretty big feud with adorable Adrian Adonis, mm-hmm. another late great legend. Yeah, and think about it. That was back when. Adrian Adonis started doing, you know, he was the, obviously alluded to, he was very uh, gorgeous George, you know, but it was definitely leading to that, you know, he had some, you know, he was homosexual and he really played up his, you know, I'm a gay wrestler gimmick. Uh-huh. And that's when he started a feud with Paul Orndorff where basically he started like, being enamored but with him which was now you don't think it's that big of a deal but in the 80s yeah talking about oh look at him he's the perfect specimen look at the baseball biceps that was uh-huh. also and that was 
that was on NBC. That is pretty edgy, I guess. For yeah, because I mean, because even you know later on, obviously Goldust took it to an, another level with his you know Razor Ramon heart yeah. on his chest and kiss uh, you know giving Ahmed Johnson mouth to mouth and even that <laughs> that, that was edgy. But for the I guess 80s, I, w- I wouldn't say edgy because it's not like it's smart and they're exploring like you know different types of lifestyles and relationships. It's just kind of goofy. Yeah, but you still well, could probably couldn't do it today. No, no. But in the eighties, you definitely probably couldn't have done it. Yeah. So I mean, that was that was pretty ballsy for them. Now that I think about it, to do it. But you know what? I mean, if you're going to do it with anybody, you do it with Paul Arndorf because uh-huh. nobody's going to go into business <laughs> on Paul Ar- Paul Arndorf. He'll take care of himself. Yeah. Uh, his other big, the only other big thing that re- really sh- comes to m- uh, mind was uh, he was the introduction to Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, who just had a very small run. He was a he was really famous manager throughout all of wrestling, but he only really had a small run in WWE, and it was with Oliver Humperdinck and uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Hmm. But and I, oh, you know, I think was Orndorff's was also part of the first ever Survivor Series. Was he? Yeah. So think, listen to this. Now you're talking about eighties. So it was Hulk Hogan's team, which was Bam Bam Bigelow, Ken Patera, and Don Morocco, the original Rock, mm-hmm. right? With Paul Orndorff. Now think of the uh, those guys are all pretty juiced up. And then it was versus Andre the Giant, One Man Gang, King Kong Bundy, Rick Rude, and Butch Reed. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that's a big deal. Like then it's just like it's really hard to have like if you had a ten man tag match today. It wouldn't feel like everybody could be a main eventer. Yeah, you could put together. That sounds like yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think of and and obviously, you know, that was Vince McMahon's dream there at the time. It was just like Ken Patera, you know, the world's strongest man, the Rock, Don Morocco, Hulk uh-huh. Hogan, and then you know Paul Orndorff teaming up with his former enemy, you know, former enemy now friend Hulk Hogan. I mean, those are those were body guys. So he had a he had a really good run. Uh, but then it's just like he he kind of that's when he got into that semi retirement. He made it to WCW. Uh, he had some decent matches there, but I think he was most famously known in that run for beating up Vader in the locker room. That's that probably his- like, <laughs> yeah, and his 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 atrophied arm. And he had something with it. it was just like he had nerve damage and it actually affected like his you know and it was due to a neck injury uh-huh. and that's i think that's what affected his arm which was a big deal obviously because you know polar north was always the body guy right you know so it was very noticeable that it's just like one it it looked like very rick and morty you know when like he accidentally grew one of his arms uh-huh. it looked like it looked like that because wow. he was still big everywhere else uh but yeah, I think that was his like like I said, is that was his big he was known after that. And then he uh he was part of the Herb Abrams thing. Remember our the special uh, on Dark Side of the Ring? Yeah. He was one of the guys that Herb Abrams brought in. I would have thought he would have been step in step right there with Macho Man Randy Savage. I feel like they started around the same time. They kind of had that same vibe. Did he have the they, same charisma as Macho Man, though? He couldn't cut a no, promo like No, Man. he did not. I like, don't recall he, him ever really seeing him in a promo. He's kind of like a – he was a visual guy. Yeah. No, yeah. He was definitely uh, 
he felt like a seventies wrestler when he talked, right. you know, and there was a reason why like he started off with Piper and then he, you know, he, he went, you know, even when he turned babyface and then he went back heel and then he was with, you know, I believe he was with Bobby Heenan. He, he always had a, a mouthpiece because he was yeah. not the guy that was like, I mean, he's not like Brock Lesnar, where it's just like, if you hear a Brock Lesnar promo, you're like, you know, please hand the mic to Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he had a lot of trouble carrying that mic. He just had the same presence and he had the same the same anointment from Vince McMahon is just like if Hulk Hogan ever couldn't do it, he would have been in that top five of people who can replace Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you would think somebody like that could, could go for a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, all things considering he didn't, was it his I health mean, problems? Was it his arm? Yeah. I think it was, I think it was his health problems. I think it was, uh, you know, some neck injuries. Cause I mean, like I said, he started in the seventies and, like his last WCW run, I think was like in 90, 93. I mean, like I said, he had smaller appearances like that, but that's like a 20 year career back then was, I guess, considered short. Right. Yeah. But it had to have been because of like a neck injury. I don't remember. Was he part of like, Oh, you know who he was? I do. I forgot about this. I just saw that he, he had a, a team called pretty wonderful. Do you remember Paul Roma from mm-hmm. the, he started off as like a, he started off as like enhancement talent. Uh, and then he had a run with Jim powers as the young stallions. Cause back then, you know, when there's extras, you didn't expect them to be like chiseled, like big dudes. Cause they're all their stars were big dudes. So like when Paul Roma was like put in there at, you know, to do a job, you're like, Oh, that's unusual. Uh, so then they took the two guys, the two enhancement talents that were like, really jacked and like let's put these two together and they became the young stallions Uh and then later on paul roma had a turn and then he was power and glory with hercules hercules hernandez but anyway uh fast forward 1993 uh paul roma showed up i think and he teamed up with uh paul arndorfer and they called themselves pretty wonderful (laughs) i don't recall that one but that's a great name yeah pretty wonderful so it's funny you know uh we posted on our on our social channels the uh the Titan Tron for Paul Arndorf, but he was before everybody had music. Yeah. What was his song? He didn't have a song. That's the funny thing. Oh, so, so he like, had no walking music. He had no walking music. This was pre everybody having music. Yeah. So, uh, so later on, we, you know, when he made his appearances, you know, he had some generic rock songs in WCW, but then they gave him that, wonderful song that we posted on our socials and that was basically a song that was born in wcw where it was almost like opera singers talking about how wonderful he is uh-huh. and he knows it and how pretty he is and then later on you know obviously ww bought wcw that became his song for later on like after his like his hall of fame stuff yeah so uh, it, you yeah, you got to check it out. I don't want to do it injustice by trying to <laughs> sing it here, but it's been stuck in my head all day long. So it was one of those songs like, oh, that's a terrible song to walk out to at the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it works because I've been it's been in my head all day long since this news dropped. I just keep singing wonderful. <laughs> they call him Mr. Wonderful. Oh, you yeah, know, nah. he is so wonderful. Now I, that, that brings he back. knows it too. 
<laughs> it's pretty crazy to think that it's just like there's not many things that Vince took from WCW that wasn't his idea and pushed it. And it was Goldberg, mm-hmm. NWO, and now the Mr. Wonderful song. It's <laughs> pretty much anything else. If you brought anything else from WCW, oh, I guess we'll put Sting in there. So was Vin, so, was Vin not a fan of the song? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, I think he was a fan of the song. And it was just like, but even if he's a fan of something, if it wasn't his idea, he's going to make turn it into something else. Like think of like Matt Hardy, right? He couldn't be broken Matt Hardy. So he had to change it to woken right. Matt Hardy. Because it wasn't his idea. Right. You know, so it's just like Stephen, Lord Stephen Regal couldn't come in. Oh, we got an, we already got a Steve Pal, so you got to be Lord William Regal. So right. he always had to put his stamp on it. And I'm sure it was, you can say it was ego, but I'm sure it also had something to do with IP that he wanted to make sure he owned yeah. the idea. But you can't be this- Dirk Diggler. You got to be Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I like that, you know. Everyone talks about what's the, uh, and that's like the Mount Rushmore of WCW ideas that survived going to WWE is NWO, Goldberg, Sting, and the Mr. Wonderful song. And I think that is a great tribute to the Hall of Famer, who, by the way, had the best pile driver in the business, bar none. Bar none, because, you know, even back then when kind of Jerry Lawler was doing it, you know, everybody was doing a very safe version of that pile driver. Because we know, obviously, you know, with Stone Cold, if you do a pile driver wrong, you're done. <laughs> like you're like literally you break their neck. So for back then, when people were mostly just falling to their butt, Paul Orndorff was grabbing them and jumping in the air. <laughs> On that pile driver. Yeah. And it was just like, and it wasn't the tombstone version where it was forward and you can kind of, it was a little like the weight was distributed better. You know, he was just that strong where he literally would jump in the air as high as he can and drive that head down. That was a big deal, man. Yeah. And he was also one of the, I guess he had that charisma in the sense where he maybe he didn't have it on the stick but he would grab both of his hands and he'd pump them up and down and make the noise yeah with the pile driver with the, and you know the pile driver was coming and back then it was when you telegraphed moves that was a big deal and i feel like not many people do that anymore remember that telegraphed moves what do you mean so like when they call for the finisher they would basically they would be controlling the crowd the whole time so you know Jake would do, let's wrap this up. So he'd spin his hand in the end. You knew the DDT was coming. Yeah. Honky tonk man would grab them in a front face lock and he would shake his butt because it was to shake, rattle and roll. And you couldn't rattle and roll before you didn't have a shake. Uh So that was basically telegraphing. You knew when the finisher was coming and the match was about to be over. I see. That's that's controlling a crowd because even on like – squash matches and they'd call it that's when they would get the pop in the squash match that's like everybody wanted to see what this finisher was and and really nobody does it because now it's like now you got to hit their finisher three times before it's effective right they don't they don't call them in the same way but they still kind of do sometimes where uh someone will sort of do a particular pose before you but they won't outright you know predict you know call it yeah exactly and i think the and you know, Vince on the Vince on the mic back then basically would help sell all that stuff because man, I was you know rewatching some of the Paul Orndorff stuff and he just people forget, you know, because everyone's used to the evil Mister McMahon. 
people forget how important his voice was throughout all of the Saturday nights made events and like how, and you know, and now the rumor is he does that into the headphones now. And he's basically trying to puppeteer all the people that are doing commentary. Uh-huh. But back then, obviously he was doing it. So you were getting all this like passionate, like look out. Uh-huh. It's like, Oh no. <laughs> like he would really like, and he wasn't calling manure, you know, he was no, uh, Excalibur, where he knew the name of every holds, he was just like, What a maneuver! Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, just like he helped, you know, a lot of these guys like Paul Arndorf really get over. It's just like the, the importance of, you know, everybody has a role to play, but the play by play and the color, how important that was, you know. And he was, you know, everyone talks about Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura, right? You know, and that's before Gorilla Monsoon. That's my first recollection. That's like the Roger Moore to me of wrestling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, there was, you know, when when Gorilla wasn't doing it, Vince McMahon was the guy on the stick. Mm -hmm. And and he made and he just knew his his ability to sell was there. So like when he when you were over with him, like Paul Arndorf was, he's going to get you over. And every single thing you do, he's going to make it wonderful. Wonderful. 